Welcome to the Pantheon Plus Rewind. Happy Sunday, everybody, and welcome to another week of the Rewind, the show dedicated to all the hot topics around the upcoming MMORPG Pantheon Rise of the Fallen. I'm very excited for today's episode because Theric and I have the pleasure of interviewing a truly impactful designer who's had an undeniable and what will be a lasting imprint on the MMORPG genre. We'll hit all the hottest topics with him and get his takes as a seasoned veteran in the field. Now, I could sit here and tell you about him, but I think he'd probably know a little bit better than me. So without delaying, I would like to introduce to you game designer, Kevin Jordan. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Great to be here. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Excited. Atheric, you're ready for this today, right? Oh, I've been excited for this all week. We had so much hype in the last uh, rewind last week during the chat. People, that's what they wanted to talk about. They didn't want to hear what we had to say. They wanted to know when are we going to be talking to Kevin? So, yeah. well, well, Kevin, before we jump into all things MMORPG here, um, first of all, thank you again for for giving us some time. And I'm excited to learn from your experience as a fan who's going to challenge some stuff maybe here a little bit and get yeah, your take. Yeah. Um, but if you don't mind, before we um, jump real deep in, for those that don't know who you are, um, can you just talk a little bit about yourself, how you got started in the, the industry and, and just some of the stuff you've been a part of? Uh, yeah. So uh, I started actually my Blizzard career as uh, in tech support. So I tell people to update their drivers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then the the team that w- one of the teams at Blizzard that was working on a, a different game kind of all caught the EQ bug, and so they decided they wanted to make an MMO after playing it for a while. And uh, I had played a ton of um, MMOs before that point, and sort of and had fallen in love with the genre back from Ultima Online days. Um, and then played just every MMO I could get my hands on after that. And so I was super excited in tech support and the team started working on the game and I just constantly were sending them emails, annoying the hell out of them uh, with my ideas and everything. And so they kind of got to know me that way. And then eventually a position opened up and I interviewed for it and I got the job. So it ended up being my first job as a game designer, my first game that I worked on. And yeah, I was there for, I worked on it for 10 years and I was, I was like the third designer on the team. Um, there was one other guy that was sort of there every day working on the the core design. I was brought in as the second game designer, but there was also our, uh, lead and founder, which was Alan Adham. And, but he was only there like twice a week. So, um, it was basically the three of us laying down the foundation of what WoW was going to be, essentially. And so I had my hand in a bunch of, you know, fundamental elements of what the game ultimately became. And then as the detail stuff got more and more um, necessary for each of this individual parts of the game, my focus went to the character classes and the talent system and the talents. So that's what I ended up uh, spending most of my time on was uh, the nine original classes and all their talents and abilities and spells and all that. That's awesome. So you you were there from the very beginning. I mean, that was sort of like yeah, right pretty, from the inception of <laughs> from a game that's become so huge and changed everything in so many ways mm-hmm. and become so central to the to the MMO space. It's it's uh, pretty cool to that, that must sort of you know does it ever sort of just 
sit back and just sort of like blow your mind that you were there at the very beginning of uh, <laughs> this whole thing? Um, you know, it's funny because I started streaming um, a couple of years ago, a little more than two years ago. And when I started streaming, I had been so disconnected from WoW um, in a career sense, but also playing it that I didn't even know that there was this, uh, you know, quiet group that was getting louder and louder about wanting classic to come out essentially. And so I didn't even know classic was a thing until after I started streaming it. And then people were kind of coming to my channel asking me about it. And, uh, I was, that, that was when I was pretty blown away. Um, because, you know, kind of not in my wildest dreams or in my worst nightmares did I think that the thing I'd helped to make wasn't around anymore, essentially. And people wanted it to come back, you know, because I, I, I had always hoped that, you know, that the groundwork that we have we had laid so many years ago would just be a stepping off point for the genre. You know, just like, you know, the games before us had inspired us so heavily. Um, I had hoped that, you know, our game would, again, just be another step towards bigger and better things. Um, so it was, it was exciting at, at one point and it was gratifying at one point for that people wanted classic, but it was also kind of a bummer, you know, that <laughs> yeah. they hadn't taken that torch and kept running the race, you know, kept circling around and making everything better and better, you know? If so, retail was more like that, they wouldn't have to go backwards. Right. Makes right. Sense. You know, like every retail changed quite a bit and, and some people love it because it's changed and think classic is dated and all that stuff. But, you know, I, I'm likely talking to a crowd that's just like, yeah, bring back the old ways. Right. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. um, you don't see a lot of games where people want the older version of something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they so, make remasters and they do like re, you know, right. updates, but they don't go right. back and say, we make it the way it used to be. Yeah. And it, it's definitely testament to, the staying power, especially when it's like PVE, a lot of it is PVE, um, like people doing old raids that they've done a million times in some cases. Um, wanting to go do that again is uh, pretty interesting yeah, for sure. So what do you think of WoW Classic? I know it it's not exactly the game that you built. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people really enjoyed it. How do you think they did like looking from the outside in on bringing Classic back? Uh, I, I'd say overall it was a tremendous success. Um, I think, you know, it's 99% what I worked on. And, you know, we love to complain about the 1%. <laughs> yes, we do. Um, <laughs> that isn't quite there. But in reality, <laughs> it's it's amazing. You know, it's amazing to be there and be able to play it again. And I think a lot of people are having a great time. And a lot of people... Um, are reliving the glory days for some, you know, and some that are trying it out for the first time. And there's very little like it that's out there on the market right now. So, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of, I think it's been a huge success and I'm really happy that they, they, uh, saw to making it happen after all the struggles, you know, the community went through to get it out, get it out and playable. So yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's an incredible story. And uh, it's funny you brought up the, you know, just annoying them with emails. Uh, Theric, we, mm-hmm. we, that's what I did to get us uh, <laughs> right. our interviews and our content for Pantheon. See, it's I a viable strategy. It is that's very right. viable. 
<laughs> I would, uh, a funny story, Kevin. So when we started we two years ago, we, I never did any of this. <laughs> like I didn't know what I was doing. It was the worst streams you ever see. The mm-hmm. quality was horrible. It was hurting people's ears with the, with the audio. <laughs> right. um, but every month I emailed uh, Ben Dean, who's uh, like their uh, communications leader and mm-hmm. uh, producer. And I would email him our statistics. <laughs> like, just right. so you know, we have this many followers <laughs> every right, month. Right. And I think it took him about a year to respond to me, but once he did, it was good. So, but, uh, so that's a good strategy for everybody out there. If you're like, how do that's I right. just, just annoy people? <laughs> There's at least a chance, you know, the pity hire will come your way, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can yeah. just put him in a closet and then we, he won't have to send us emails. You know? That's yeah. right. Exactly. What would we pay him to stop sending us emails? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Exactly. That's our strategy. All right. So to give everybody a quick heads up of what we're going to talk about today, we're going to go over a few different topics. We're going to talk about class design. We're going to talk about one of my favorite words that we bring up all the time, meta. <laughs> and we're going to relate that a little bit into itemization. We're talking about player uh, player behavior, especially around like the genre evolution. I think that that's a, a pretty important topic that we talk about mm-hmm. often. And then we're going to uh, wrap up the main topics with talking a little bit about open world and instancing, um, just to get some thoughts on that and perspective. And then um, I want to thank the community. We got some some good questions that we're going to ask as part of the little mailbox segment we always do. Just a few questions so you guys can actually uh, ask uh, Kevin for his uh, thoughts on those. So I'm excited for all of that. But Kevin, you said straightforward that, you know, what ended up being your baby and what you really sank into there was the class design. And yeah. I'm a fanatic for classes. I think Mm -hmm. um, for me, yeah, yeah, any MMORPG I've ever played, the uniqueness of individual classes to me is really important. Um, Mm -hmm. What what brought me to Pantheon two years ago, this early in this development, you know, with not much to grab onto is one of the key tenets they put out, like a list of tenets that they they say the game will stick to, right? Like these are these are what we're building off of. And it's the fact that they think they've said that the classes are going to have their own unique identities. And they're mm-hmm. not going to be watered down into sort of a one size fits all that we've sort of seen in some other games where like everybody can kind of do everything. Right. Um, so let's go ahead and I'm going to ask you the first question really tied to that. So what piqued my interest in you and your work um, that you put into creating WoW's classes again is because I'm a huge class design fan. I'm just, I love them. I, I can talk mm-hmm. all day about classes. Um, so if you had to take all the work you've done and everything you've seen in, in classes across the genre, what do you Mm -hmm. think goes in or factors into that whole creating a class with a unique identity? So couple part question, that's the first part. How do you create a unique identity? Do you feel it's gotten off track in MMOs and sort of, what do you think's led to that? So three part question, have at it. (laughs) Right. Um, okay. So a big element for me, I, I'm a huge fan of psychology, right? Um, and one of the, the core things you understand from psychology is not everyone thinks the same, you know, and obviously, you know, as soon as you develop empathy, that's one of the core elements of empathy is understanding that everyone doesn't think like you and you have to get inside someone else's head to really be, you know, empathetic towards what they're thinking, why they're thinking, why they're doing the things they're doing, right? So um, understanding that people are different and they approach things different and they get joy out of different things is an important element for me in class design because you're trying to offer different experiences with each of your classes to those different mindsets. Um, And that plays into the thematic, it plays into the feel, it plays into the play pattern. Um, 
And it, it's really important because um, if you're trying to serve one type of player with all of your classes, it's either all hit or all miss. But if you're serving, let's just say in WoW's case, nine different types of players, then you're going to hit with some of them and miss with others. But overall, everyone's going to find a thing, right? And so you're going to please a lot more people, you know, with this approach than you are with like making everyone sort of a homogenized version with the same types of rotations and, you know, the same tool sets and the same answers to everything. Um, And so that's a big part of it is um, trying to figure out how to serve a lot of different people, you know, different, different foods essentially, because everyone's taste buds are just a little bit different. Um, The other part of it is just, um, I think there's like most of us, when we're role-playing, one of the first things a lot of us do is imagine a character from a video game previous or a movie or a book or whatever it is, some iconic type of character. And then we try to make that, (laughs) and those come in so many different flavors over the years for so many different people that you want to sort of hit the big, you know, whether it's fantasy tropes or sci-fi tropes or whatever it is, you want to try to cater to those things so that people can try to achieve that goal. So whether it's Conan or it's Gandalf or it's, (laughs) you know, Gimli the dwarf, you know, like you're, you're, you're hitting a bunch of different, potential favorite characters that people have and those all take very different you know paths when it comes to delivering on what that experience is so that's why it's important to you know when we talk about class identity which is something i'm constantly harping on um you have to kind of go all in you know and you have to you have to be trying to satisfy that that deep down desire for somebody to to live out in this fantasy world as that, you know, creation or that, ex- that, uh, hero that they've imagined in their mind. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's so interesting. It's, it's so true. I mean, it's funny. We joke around because I, um, I've always played a ranger. I enjoy playing rangers mm-hmm. and, um, you know, you don't, there's no MMO I've ever played where I haven't seen six Legolas's running around, you know, as soon as you log in, <laughs> exactly. because yeah. like you say, everybody wants to, everybody wants mm-hmm. to be Legolas. Right. right. And <laughs> so, um, it's so interesting that, uh, you know, I think the psychology aspect of it, like you say, is, is, is so true. And I think that's a sort of a lost aspect mm-hmm. of it. I think that there is a, um, like you said, you know, it's, it's, they've been trying to do a lot. And sometimes when we try to do too much, we end up doing very little, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's sort of, so to speak, when we, when we try to cover all the bases, you end up really not doing anybody enough service. You know, you don't do service to any one particular archetype or one particular class. Mm -hmm. So I, I really enjoy it. I I think you're, uh, I think you're spot on with that, with that. Yeah. And there's another, there's another really common trap that um, designers can fall into also, which is um, one designing only things they enjoy um, Mm. is a pretty common one because there's lots of different kinds of players. So uh, you're not representative individually of everyone that might be playing your game. And the other, and that's true from a, like a thematic or play pattern standpoint, but also um, the complexity level. Cause as we, as we grow as gamers, and we'll talk more about this with the evolution of, you know, the genre, but um, 
you know, players sometimes get jaded over 10 years of playing a game that the button presses just aren't tickling their fancy anymore, you know? Right. And so the designer's always trying to one-up the complexity to keep people more and more and more engaged. But eventually you're leaving behind all the people that have already hit their ceiling with complexity or new people that are trying to jump into your game. Mm -hmm. And social games like MMOs rely on sort of a backfill of new players to keep things interesting and keep things going. So when you sort of cut out you know, that whole group that might be trying to get into your game, but uh, you've designed everything to be this rotation heavy, you know, you have to do these things in the specific order mm-hmm. um, in order to, you know, be max DPS or whatever, rather than just, here's a simple approach, a pretty basic thematic you can wrap your head around and some tools, you know, for you to figure out. Um, you can leave a lot of people behind. Right. It's actually a good let's segue to the to the question that I had about this topic. And that's, you know, we, we talk about the sort of use the word homogenization. And I think that's a good word to describe it, because mm-hmm. in more modern MMOs, the ones I've played, at least there is sort of the idea that, you know, each class is basically has some skills in every sort of area. They can heal a little bit. They can DPS. Right. They can tank a little bit, um, you know, in that um, kind of class design. My belief has always been and I don't know where this comes from. But my belief has always been that when you do that, designing content in the world might be easier. And again, I have no background to to know this, but is it, would you agree or do you think it's more difficult or time intensive to create content um, when classes are unbalanced? Like when you're trying to create content that um, utilizes the strengths and weaknesses of different classes um, that are not balanced, does that require more time and effort from the developer, from the designers? Uh, I think it's actually easier. Like if you want to bring up the Holy Trinity of tank healer DPS, it's actually easier to design content for that. Um, It's easier to define uh, specialists and figure out what the specialists can actually achieve if they're making really good choices than it is trying to figure out where people are going to end up with sort of unlimited choice because you you can't, it's harder to gauge what they're going to do. Are they going to be 80% at everything or are they going to be 90% at two things and 70% at a third? Are they going to be 100% at one thing and 50% at two others? You know, like you're not sure where they're going to come down. So, um, but with specialists, it's like, it's pretty clear that the tank is going to want to do tanky things and he's going to make tanky decisions and he's going to push tanky buttons. (laughs) Like he knows his role and he's just going to do that to the best of his ability. So you can more accurately predict how effective he's going to be by doing those, that limited set of things as opposed to, you know, being wide open. So I feel like it's easier to come to a more common balance point um, with content that makes it challenging when you sort of know what to expect. That's interesting. Yeah, no, that, that's really, uh, that really uh, shifts my perspective on it. Cause I didn't sort of look at it that way, but you're uh, yeah, you're right about that. That's really interesting. Yeah, and then I think also just people enjoy being a thing and being the best at that yeah. thing in general. You know, some people like the jack of all trades, master of none sort of approach, but I think overwhelmingly, especially at the high ends where people are trying to do the hardest content in the game, there's really only room for specialists yeah. and people. It's very competitive already just to get in, just to get on the roster of a raid, much less <laughs> like <laughs> be excellent at it. So. Yeah. Um, I think people really tend to specialize and that's how, 
that's traditionally how games are beaten, especially in PvE environments. You have to be more generalist in PvP because it's more about your weaknesses than it is about your strengths. But interesting. Um, in PvE, it's generally about just maximizing your strengths. I'm, I'm happy you brought up PvP because <clears throat> I do want to get to that in a second. But before I do, I, I'm curious. You know, I, this is something I've wondered. You know, when you talk about, especially when when you were designing the classes, there was much more leeway to have these unique classes, right? Like mm-hmm. I remember the experiences of being a retribution paladin or that that hybrid class, and you felt it. You felt that being a hybrid. Yeah. Um, and there there was a different feel. Now, with that being the case, I know there's probably a lot of internal numbers. You're seeing how many people are playing what. Was there a mm-hmm. concern when you were building these unique classes that were going to, you know, like you said, be made for specific people? When you saw a class that was way lower played, but yet it was still being played, was that a panic button? Did you want more people to play it or were you happy with, you know, where it was fitting? Um, no, it wasn't really a panic button. Um, I was happy that all the classes were being played and I tried to look at other factors, right? Like the Druid was low, was low numbers, but that's because only two races could be them one on each side. So, um, that felt kind of natural, right? That there were fewer Druids. Um, so there were other data points to look at other than just the raw numbers. Um, and, and also I was okay with it just because there's a good side to them being, there being low numbers and they tend to be more desirable, you know, like if it's hard mm-hmm. to find a Druid and Druids are really necessary for whatever reason, let's say Mark of the Wild for simplicity's sake, um, which is just a buff that people liked. Um, and it also made it kind of neat that when you did run across a Druid, it was kind of a special moment. And then that person who played one of those, you know, played a druid, like felt special, you know, because <laughs> yeah. people were like, "Oh, cool, a druid," you know, <laughs> like. Um, so there, there were good sides to lower population of certain classes as well. That's awesome. That's kind of like rangers, right there. Nobody wants to play ranger, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we are we are the special ones. Everybody loves us. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, according to D anD D, like right. is born because their village got wiped out by their <laughs> interracial enemy, right? So, and then they were raised by wolves in a, in yeah, a bed yeah. somewhere. Yeah, so, I hear you. There's only so many, you know, villages that have been wiped out, so <laughs> you can't have. Too yeah, many where rangers. are all these rangers coming from? <laughs> <laughs> or everywhere you don't want to be. Oh, jeez. Um, so uh, let's get into PvP now. I'm not a designer. I've okay. just played a lot of games, and I'm never going to declare myself to be a designer. And I'm uh, I'm actually one of those people that thinks that sometimes communities have too much say, and I think we'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah, right. Um, right. But so he, here's something that has been a really big sticking point for me, specifically with Pantheon, and something I've mm-hmm. been saying since my days of playing WoW. When Pantheon was announced, it was very heavily said this is a PvE game. And there was some pressure from the community. And this is way back into the Kickstarter days um, when when the first Kickstarter happened for the game. And Brad McQuaid, who was at the helm at the time, was sort of saying, Mm -hmm. well, you know, we're we're staying with PvE. And over time, he started to get a little more convinced that, you know, there's really this large subset of players in PvP that we'd be silly not to, you know, try to appease, which which makes Mm -hmm. sense. I'm okay with that. But mm-hmm. their their method thus far, and a, and a lot of this is unconfirmed, but it's it's pretty likely 
that the way they're going to do PVP is with a toggle on. You're going to have a toggle on PVP server and you're going to have the PVE game in this, in the PVE servers. And the game is going to be 90% PVE focused. And they've even said that those, those PVP servers, you know, they will probably not be really balanced at first. You know, that's not something they're going to focus on. So, so there's a couple of things I'll say here. First to me, um, I feel like that might be a mistake because I think PVPers are very passionate. I've seen mm-hmm. that quite a bit. And when yeah. there's not a balance, I think there's going to be a, a very vocal, even if it's a smaller crowd, it'll be that vocal mm-hmm. minority that's really clamoring to like possibly negativity it could bring. Yeah. But furthermore, and this is the one, this, this is going to make or break me and I'm relying on your answer here. <laughs> I have said since day one, that no matter what game says, well, you know, our PVE and our PVP are going to be separate. We're going to, mm-hmm. you know, the abilities will be designed separately for PVP. It won't influence PVE. Right. I don't buy that. <laughs> I think psychologically right. when someone's designing a class or an ability, you're always thinking, well, what are we going to have to do from PVP? So yeah. two part question. Do you think that putting PVE, PVP in to appease it at that level is a good idea or bad idea? And two, how does PVP affect PVE? Right. Um, so is it a good idea? Uh, my my first answer is no, because, uh, and the main reason for that isn't balance or anything like that. It's because if, if the developers take the stance that it's kind of an afterthought, then the players will feel like they're an afterthought, right? So, you know, the last thing you want to be is sort of, the redheaded stepchild of the community in a game, right? Where you're trying to force it to work, force it to be good. And the developers just really aren't on the same page as you when it comes to like wanting to support it and make it better and spend a lot of resources on it. So that, you know, there's a chance that it just works perfectly, right? That it's just, you know, accidentally totally in tune with everything that the PVPers Mm -hmm. actually want, but the chances of that are so low. It's, I don't even think it's, worth mentioning to be honest but um so that's the key thing is if if you're gonna if you're going to invite a community in to play your game then you should make sure that the experience is as lovingly crafted as you can possibly afford right and if you're going to treat it like an afterthought then it's going to feel like an afterthought. It's going to play like an afterthought and people are going to get really disenfranchised really quickly and they don't they're not also not going to buy your excuse. They're not going to buy your reasoning for why the game isn't better in this area because you put it out and you invited them in. They're going to expect a level of quality, especially if they're paying a subscription price, et cetera, to enjoy the experience. So uh, I think what's more likely to happen is they're going to be very let down. And um, at some point they're going to hit their threshold for enough is enough. And they're just going to leave. And it's sort of going to be this dead part of your game. Yeah, it's, it's feel, funny because oh, sorry, I get there. No, I was just going to say real quick if that, you know, I feel like a lot of games, MMOs these days, you have this checklist of things that have to be in your game. And if they're not in your game, right. you don't really get to, you don't get invited to the party. You know, you're not really right. an MMO. So, yeah. you know, you get housing in there and you get like, oh, yeah. you know, we all these other. That one. Still yeah. to this day, there's no housing in WoW, right? So we resisted yeah. that one. <laughs> but yeah, not, I definitely know thing. what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, if you're going to do it, do it right. Yes. has always been my feel. So. Uh, and it's okay not to have those things. It really is. Um, or to not even launch with it, right? Like, 
Again, there's there's a crowd of people, and it's it's really from EQ. I think uh, Theric, it's the Kazakh Thol server, if I'm not mistaken, or Ralph Zach. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, Ralph was, was the PVP. I think there were yeah. two. Yeah. So what they did, they just turned it on, and you just it was open world PVP. Yeah. I just do you? Oh, that's think, right. It was Solid Sec, which was faction. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. right. That's okay. right. Anyway, so sorry. It, Go ahead. It is open world PVP. I mean, it's not 1999 anymore. I say that quite a bit. <laughs> uh, the right. player bases. Significantly year, different. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was. I was playing a lot of Ultima Online. It was a good time. Uh, I was I was skipping school to farm J boots. Um, <laughs> but I went to um, university classes to play EQ. That's what I was doing. It was bad. Mm-hmm. But but you know I don't know that with everything that's out there now and and I'll you know there's a lot of games I've played a ton of MMOs because I just love the genre. Like I played Blade and Soul to Death, and that was a fun. I, mm-hmm. I don't like PvP. The PvP was so good. It was like playing Street Fighter. Um, but you know, with, with everything that's out there for PVP now, I mean, arenas, um, battlegrounds, um, the three V three fighting, like Mm -hmm. guild versus guild fighting. Mm -hmm. Do you think that like the turn on a server and it's just open world PVP is going to be able to maintain itself this day and age? Uh, well, it's hard to say, uh, there, there, there is a small community of people that want to do mainly the PVE experience, but they sort of want that extra tension of there might just be a guy behind me waiting for me to pull this thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and will, will that community be large enough to sustain a whole server? Maybe. Um, but some people might just want that sort of PVE plus, you know, it's not really PVP, but it's sort of PVE plus um, where the, the, the competition is more direct rather than indirect, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, any queue was first to get to the boss, right. Mm-hmm. And take it down. Whereas this is like, you could be second and wipe them out and then be first. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so it's a different feel and some people just love that. Um, but again, it's like, it's going to come down to how good the PVP feels when you're actually engaging in it. Cause if, if the PVE is really high quality, but the PVP that's happening before and potentially after is really bad, then you're in a bad place. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and some people will just put up with it, but, you know, cause there are people that will just put up with anything and all they care about is the win, right? <laughs> yeah. You either get the win or the loss and it, it, the play doesn't even matter. All that matters is, you know, and this is true for PVE as well. Did we get mm-hmm. the boss down? Okay. That's all that matters. Yeah. It didn't matter that I hate it. I mean, I, I know a guy, <laughs> a guy I've been friend with for years on who helped on the wow team and he did an EQ fight where he crowd controlled snakes for six hours straight in the basement. So he didn't even get to see what the boss looked like. Cause he was down in a basement somewhere. You guys might even know the encounter <laughs> where he was my, you know, he was an enchanter and he was just CCing snakes for six hours straight. Right. Like to me, that's a mind blowing experience. Right? I'm <laughs> yeah. like, no way would I ever do that. Right. Um, but that's what you did in EQ. That was just one of those things. Yeah. Um, and obviously he was willing to do it, even though the play pattern was abysmal. So some people are just in that boat, right? But yeah, just a different yeah. mentality towards how they approach the yeah. how they approach the end result being yeah. you know, the first thing that matters. So just whatever it takes, right? So but is that a big enough community? Is that 
is that the kind of community that's going to be really good at spreading word of mouth, you know, to get the game to that next level in terms of participation and excitement and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it's hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it, it is hard to say. I've never been a PVP, PVP player myself. I, I avoid mm-hmm. it at all costs because yeah, I'm right. terrible at it. And they, yeah, it's just not the kind of thing I enjoy, but, um, mm-hmm. I kind of always looked like MMOs were like the virtual world D and D, right? Like at a tabletop mm-hmm. to me, like that's what it came from, from that in muds. Like it was always about teamwork, right? You really, right. I know there are people who PVP in D and D, but the majority mm-hmm. of people who played D and D at least back in the day, <laughs> it was an adventure together. Right. Yeah. So. Um, the PVPers don't get invited back to the next team. <laughs> <Yeah>, exactly. <laughs> I don't care how much Mountain Dew they bring. They're yeah, not where's my back. gold? Why is it missing? <laughs> That's right. Um, um, and and yeah. to be honest, like the PVE populace is way higher than the PVP populace, despite how much I think WoW has improved that to some extent. Because um, like when I was when I was hired on, I quickly became the PVP guy around the office, mm. like that nut job who likes to grief people, <laughs> right? Was like how people thought of me. Um, I was just a PVPer. I liked all kinds of PVPing. Sometimes, yeah, I was I was ganking you, but a lot of times I was chasing down people that were criminals or murderers and UO or whatever it was. So um, <laughs> I just liked to PVP, but I was one of the rare people on the team that appreciated its value. And so, um, and PVP was a dirty word back then because of Ultima online, right? Yeah. 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 Almost every game afterwards was making sure they announced and told everyone up front, this is totally consensual. <laughs> even if, <laughs> even if it's in the game at all. Right. Well, what was uh, the UO story about like the designer, you know, didn't think people would go out and just be murderers and steal everything. Right. And then the world kind of just became that. <laughs> that's, <laughs> it was just that's exactly right. That. Yeah. 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 Ultima online is essentially like remapping humanity's history (laughs) like doing it online in a virtual world yeah well it had its crowning moment when when lord british got killed himself right right pvp or whatever it was right right. yeah Yeah. (laughs) well before we leave that question i i have to that the one part that's again i've based a a long time yeah is it possible Um, to have a working good pvp system that has zero influence on pv like design, um, design is, I guess, the way to put it. Uh, um, is it possible? Sure. <laughs> um, I, I'm a believer in just about anything is possible, but I think the best, the best PVE PVP crossovers are ones that are designed with both in mind, right? Like they're not separate entities. They're not separate games. Um, and WoW moved away from this over the years, much to my uh, unhappiness, uh, because we I, I did a lot of work in laying the groundwork for what what was essentially what were the similarities between a PVE experience and a PvP experience. Mathematically, I wanted them to be kind of identical um, in terms of like how much is a player hit for, how much can he take versus how much a mob of the same level you know, can take and how much he does. Right. I imagine that's uh, pretty tricky, especially when numbers start getting bigger. Yeah. So mm-hmm. what, what we saw over time was um, the PVE became so specialized and the gear you wanted for PVE was so specialized. It was all about DPS and not about survival. Um, and 
for the tanks, it was the opposite. So as the two scale up, they get wider and wider apart in terms of survivability. And then you find people one-shotting, you know, each other in PvP settings because they're all DPS and no survivability. And then the tanks are just impossible to kill. <laughs> uh, but they can't hurt anyone, right? So <laughs> they're just annoying. <laughs> you get to these weird places, right? Um, and then, and that's why resilience kind of came in, which was this kind of PvP stat that was designed to bridge that gap, um, but only for PvP. And that's when you sort of officially realize these are two separate games in terms of like the mathematical experience, um, and that's where it gets really tricky. But uh, to go back to one of the original comments of like, when you're designing an ability, I, I absolutely was thinking about the impact in PvP with every decision. Um, and it's, to me, it was really important because we wanted both to sort of coexist. And you have to, you have to think about the impact because uh, one of the big differences between players and monsters is monsters don't complain. <laughs> you know, when, uh, yeah, wait know. until AI takes over. <laughs> That's right. Um, and so you you can abuse the hell out of monsters. You can crowd control them for ten minutes straight. You know? <laughs> but uh, players don't particularly appreciate that for some reason. Um, and uh, so yeah, you have to you have to figure out how the differences are going to be. And once you have a million differences, then it adds a lot of confusion and complexity to tooltips and players understanding what this does and why does it do different things against this target versus this target. And um, you, you don't want the players to have to sort of put on a game designer hat and try to figure out why all these things do the things they do. You know, you just want them to be able to play and have fun and understand what their abilities do. So mm-hmm. um, in an ideal world, those experiences are largely similar and the crossover is pretty natural. Right. So last question from the, in the, in this section on uh, class design, I want to ask you about, you actually mentioned it earlier. Um, You said, you know, a lot of people uh, identify as one role. They say, I'm, I'm a tank, you know, Mm -hmm. or or I'm always a healer. And on doing this show, Minus and I have heard that repeatedly over and over again from the people that we talk to, you know, um, and with player identity, uh, class identity, I should say, being sort of a little watered down more than it used to be. How do you think how do you think player identity is being compensated these days? Like what are what are game designers doing to give players identity? If the classes are the same, what are they compensating with? Uh I don't think that they're actually compensating very well. Um it's very difficult to. Um I think one of the few things that are remaining, like if if all of us have the same tool set, for example, is how well we apply those tools, right? And that's why you see like who's topping the parses, you know, like everyone's gaga and crazy over who's at the top of the parses, who's playing optimally. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of all that matters. It even matters more than are you a nice person? Do I like hanging out with you for hours and hours at a time? You know, like we put up with the fact that you're a total a-hole because you're topping the parses every week, right? Uh, that seems backwards to me, you know? So that's a great, um, that I is like an amazing that. point. Like, you just so blew I, I my mind think, with that. <laughs> yeah. I actually don't think there's enough like ways for players to distinguish themselves within a class and more so within a game 
outside of like sheer competence. Um, and that's a bad thing because, mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the day, we're all just a bunch of nerds sitting in a computer game trying to pretend <laughs> we're heroes. Right. Yeah, um, we don't have these skills that our characters have. And so, What's you wouldn't know that, RPGs. though, talking to everybody. Some of these <laughs> right, people of think course, they have yeah. these skills. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know how many times um, I've met the number one PvP, <laughs> the number one paladin on their server? Yeah. <laughs> we talk to every single number one paladin on every server. Every server. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it's nice when a game gives us the tools to feel heroic and feel like we're amazing, despite not having these skills in real life. Right. By meeting us halfway sort of thing, you know, like I'll put in my side of the work. I'll try to be strategic and smart about my choices and my character class, you know, when to push the button when. But um, it's nice that my I can feel like, you know, this hero that I'm portraying and people around me appreciate it, you know, Mm -hmm. without having to be like a professional gamer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. That's, uh, that's not the answer I was thinking about when I came up with the question, I had a different answer in mind and I really like your answer better than the one I had in mind. <laughs> the answer I had in mind was something to do with like costumes and cash shop and appearance. Right. Stuff. Like, you know, I'm thinking about identity from right, that right. standpoint. Cause I do right. think there is a little bit of that going on too, but yeah, for sure. Your answer is, is much more, um, I think, uh, a much more, you know, uh, perspective from the inside on it i, I definitely yeah and you definitely see what you're talking about also so it's, it is a very good point you see the end game the true end game they call it of you know these games nowadays is all about the fashion right fashion yeah, quest. Um, yeah. people I'm stop looking at you know it's how do you glamour and final fantasy transmog and wow whatever it is you know like yeah and the demand for those systems is through the roof um because I think that's the new way you distinguish yourself is how you look as opposed to, you know, what kind of, (laughs) yeah, like who you are socially, Mm -hmm. uh, which used to matter a lot. um, And uh, what you bring to the table in terms of, you know, unique class abilities or, or different things that change the way we play as a group or just little things to be excited about. Like there used to be just, you know, like the, a combo pair between two classes. One class really likes another buff that another class has. So they absolutely are through the roof when they get to group with one of those classes, right? right. And you can just see the camaraderie the second they join, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and they awesome. vocalize it, you know? They're like, oh, thank God there's a blank here, you know? Because now I can do my thing. Yeah. And so um, really important bits that uh, a lot of games nowadays are missing. I just I think it's amazing how you linked it to just sort of everybody being meter meter hungry, right? Is because mm-hmm. there was less to separate people. And it's interesting yeah. because I wonder if a game sticks to, you know, this there's three tanks, for example, right? Like you have tank one, tank two, tank three. Mm-hmm. In certain scenarios, tank one is amazing. It's gonna be the best. But guess right. what? In scenario two, it's not. And that's too bad. <laughs> like that's what's mm-hmm. gonna happen. Um, I just wonder like if if they can really any game can really create true class identity, not be worried about everybody doing everything. If people's right. eyes shift off the meters, even though we're so used to it and go mm-hmm. back to fulfilling a role. Yeah. Yeah. And I talk about moments to shine a lot as being really critical to class identity. Um, and that's what kind of what you're talking about. It's like this one class is really good at this boss fight because, you know, 
mechanic X versus his ability Y. And he has his moment to shine. Um, yeah, another class can do it, but this class is just a little bit better, you know, because of this mm-hmm. thing. And then the next fight, it's it switches up to a different class, right? So, and you just kind of rotate through the bosses, you know, so that everyone kind of gets their moment to shine. And that covers healing classes and DPS as well. Uh, but that goes a long way in establishing identity. And so that everyone feels like, the special snowflake, you know, for that fight. <laughs> yep. And that's kind of what we want, you know, cause like, you know, real life is all about getting our parses up to the highest right? <laughs> in various ways. So why do we want a game to behave that way too? We're here to escape, have yeah. fun and, you know, yeah. let off some steam. Awesome. Well, I think that's a good transition into topic two. And don't worry to everybody out there listening. I just want you guys to know you got them really nervous right there. Both of <laughs> you started talking about transmog. Everyone knows, right. that, Theric, if you get me going on transmog, it's a whole two-hour <laughs> show because I love it. Uh, it is my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to avoid it. We're not getting into that. That was not on the agenda. <laughs> so uh, let's get into topic two here. And it's uh, it's a feisty one for me. Meta. And we're going to tie itemization a bit into that. So um, okay. So for those who listen to the podcast, I am I'm very passionate about the term meta. We kind of were talking about like PVP being a bad word. And I think meta in, in this community, especially is like this evil, evil word. And it's funny mm-hmm. because meta exists. I, I say this all the time and it, it sounds stupid, but meta exists in everything we do. There is a meta way yes. to eat your cereal in the morning. <laughs> you know, you're going to use a spoon. Right. You're not going to use a knife. <laughs> That's the most effective way. <laughs> um, so it's just, it's just, I just man pour it right down the gullet. What are you talking about? I wear it like <laughs> a helmet meta. and let it drip down oh, my face. That's just what have. we brought you on the show for that kind of insight. That is gold. That's right. <laughs> so, but so this meta thing gets a bad rep. Right. It's 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 the oh, I want to play an MMO that doesn't just have meta. Well, I don't. Mm-hmm. Number one, I don't think it's possible. Um, no. But I think that when people say that they're not worried about meta, it's just it's the Reddit term. I, I like to use mm-hmm. that. Someone latches yes. onto it. I think what people want is more viability um, right. where like, OK, I may not be the best, but I'm still viable. And I think some games have sure. meta and then it's a huge drop off. Right. Um, right. Right. So you've said, I'm going to use one of your quotes here from one of your your videos talking about meta. You said meta is a disingenuous term because when you take the strategy and combine it with skill set, you get the overall best performance. Trying to force a person with a skill set into a different strategy can have different effects. So I Mm kind of say like where you're talking about there is that if the meta is very difficult to pull off and you don't have the skill to pull it off, then it's not your meta. Am I right Right. in saying that? And and what do you, how how do you combat people who keep saying, I want a game without meta? (laughs) Right. So, yeah, meta is a very misunderstood term, (laughs) I think, at at the end of the day. Um, I understand why it's misunderstood. Um, Yeah, but I've got like a whole video on my YouTube. It's about an hour long and it barely scratches the surface of this issue, (laughs) to be honest. Um, We could easily do a three hour show and not be done on just this topic alone. Um, It's kind of insane. But here's here's some basics, like some high level um, thoughts on it is that, um, you know, as human beings, we want to know the truth. We want to know the one answer, right? Um, what's right and everything else is wrong. Um, and so we think in terms of like, is the sun hot? Well, sure. Sun is super hot. Is it the, is it the hottest? Yeah, probably, you know, but then it's like, okay, but if I 
light a candle and I put my finger over the candle, which one's going to burn me faster? <laughs> it's like, so is the candle hotter than the sun? <laughs> like, uh, right. So it gets really confusing really quick because it's so contextual, right? Everything is so contextual and there's a million variables when it comes to, you know, MMOs and performance and, you know, how like metas are formed. Right. Um, and so frequently the meta is very transitory, right? Like meta is evolving constantly. Like the number of things that have come out in classic that are new to classic that have always been there for 15 years, but nobody knew about and are now doing (laughs) is still pretty mind blowing. And that that's testament to how many variables there are. Um, and people's experimenting still to this day on, you know, what's new and what's the most powerful thing to do. Right. So, and that's going to change again, you know, with every new game and every new release and every new patch that changes any of those numbers. Right. Cause the variables are always changing as well. Um, and everything's so connected to everything else that one change here can trickle down and affect many other areas, which can then have a knock on effect. Right. So, the entire environment is really difficult to lock down in terms of what is the best, right? What is the simple one truth, you know, that answers all the the questions, whether that question is what's the best class or what's the best spec or what's the best build, what's the best itemizations, right? Like those things are usually an illusion. Um, I could not agree more. I could not agree more with you saying that because, you know, I'm sure you saw the evolution of these class discords for a while. They drove mm-hmm. me crazy. Yeah, for you sure. had, you know, the guy at the top who's a big streamer who everybody knows and whatever he mm-hmm. says is gospel. <laughs> right. It could be completely wrong, but you have right. an army of people. And, and yeah. I'll share a little inside story here. So um, for those of you that haven't played WoW, the, the preferred simulator, I believe most would say is SimCraft, Simulation mm-hmm. Craft. And there's a secondary one called Ask Mr. Robot. And so I'm really close with the Ask Mr. Robot team. I, I, mm-hmm. They're just great people. It's a small team, great people. And uh, they've given me a ton of insight on like the complicated things they do to find these oh, variances, yeah. right? And I also know something, and this might get me in trouble, but they're not listening, so I'm just going to say it. So I <laughs> know that... there are bugs sometimes. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that um, Simulation Craft... When there are unfavored abilities, specifically those that are hard to program simulation for, they right. actually just stop really trying. Okay. So what happens is right. there will be a Discord guy who's running numbers and saying this is how it is. Mm-hmm. They'll stick to those abilities and the other abilities that look way off when you simulate actually isn't mm-hmm. quite true. Right. And, you know, one of the things that makes a player's DPS improve, for example, is movement. And a lot of mm-hmm. abilities, a lot of simulation doesn't actually it's simulate movement. movement. Yeah. It's all yeah. target dummy simulation, right? Yeah. So, like, if you move, let's say you're in a circle and you move five steps and then you hit it, but you only needed to move three. Those extra two steps are hugely impactful to yes. your damage, right? Especially if it comes at the wrong time in your rotation or whatever. Exactly. So, it's you interesting to me because all kinds of stuff. meta like you said, is different for different types of people, but it's also usually, I think the meta a lot of people think is like that causes toxicity is the guy right. who's the loudest at the top of the mountain, just saying yeah, it's the best sure. without any truth. <laughs> so. Right. He's carrying the meta flag and actually doesn't know anything about it in reality, yeah. <laughs> but he, yeah, 
people believe it because he's the loudest and he's able to socially shame or stigmatize or bully other people into buying his nonsense. Um, So here's another uh, common misconception about meta. And I covered some of this in my video. Um, Yeah, guys, check that out. And we'll, we'll put links just so you know, Kevin, we'll put links to like your channel and everything in the the, uh, comments here. So you guys can check these videos out because they're really cool. Right. There's, let's say there's only two kinds of players. There's way more, but let's say there's only two kinds of players. Um, You know, all of us are good at some things and not good at other things. So maybe there's one guy who's really good uh, with doing his rotations. He is the best at playing whack-a-mole with all the lights and, you know, buzzes and alerts on his action bar so that he can nail his rotations perfectly. Um, But his head is always buried in the action bar. So every time the monster has something, he starts to cast and he needs to, let's say he's a rogue and he has to interrupt, he has to kick it. He sucks at that because all he's just, he's just buried in his action bar. Right. But it's, it's not how much damage he's doing. It's the thing that the spell is getting off and it's actually killing people. That is what's slowing people down in the raid. Right. So, um, you know, he's really good at that thing. The other guy's really good at reacting to, you know, new information in the environment. So he can interrupt really well, but he's not as good at his rotation. Right. So those are just two different types of players. And, Obviously, you want you want a player who's good at both of those things, but you usually yeah. can't find someone who's really good at all things. Um, so you you take you take a certain build or a certain spec, and you put it in the hands of the guy who's really good with the rotation, and just let him do his thing. And you try to find a um, like another class that's in the party to counterspell. Let's say a mage. You get get him to be played by the reaction guy so that you can cover both of those bases. And then you have a, you know, a team that can actually pull off this, this whole thing. Um, but, uh, you know, you'll, you know, the meta person will come along and say, well, your mage should be playing this rogue spec because it's more meta, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you want two of those guys, right? You don't want, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and they'll kick out the mage who's really good at reacting to content. And then you'll end up losing the fight. Right. So, it's like you have to the meta is to me is all always about what do we have what resources do we have what content are we facing and how do we maximize our potential to to win in this particular case right yeah uh whereas a lot of for a lot of people it's trying to figure out what the best build is and then cramming all the people into that build or builds mm-hmm. right as if we're all sort of some kind of hive mind <laughs> and there's going to be one person playing all parts you know what i mean yeah, it's but, um, uh, and that's where, you know, kind of poor guild leadership comes in, where it's like the difference between good leadership and bad leadership is being able to work with what you have versus trying to force people to do a bunch of things they're not comfortable doing. Exactly. Exactly. It's funny. My, all my experience with meta actually doesn't come from the MMO space. It actually comes from playing Hearthstone. <laughs> and I was I was a big time Hearthstone player for a while. And and what I learned about meta from playing that, I think what you said is so important. Trying to force a person with a skill set into a different strategy can have negative effects. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I always saw was these high level players, some of the best players, the tournament players, they'd play in the official tournaments, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And they'd stream these decks that were way off meta, but they would win, right? right? Oh, they yeah, were sure. they had the skill set to be able to make those decks win because they had mm-hmm. knowledge, the whatever foresight, yeah. whatever it was. And then you get people try to play those decks, like just the rank and file, the regular player, and they would have a 20% win rate, 30% right. maybe. Yeah. 
and they would complain and say, you know, like, I don't understand why is this, you know, this deck, is it not meta? Why, why it should right. work. Right. And right. I, I, so they, you get this angst in the, in the community amongst players who don't really um, fit into the skill set that that deck commands. So they just go back to playing, you know, face hunter or aggro decks and all that kind right. of stuff. That's generally yeah. easier to play. Right, right. I would argue with that. But yeah, I was um, going to talk about magic in this, in this section, but yeah, uh, Hearthstone's yeah. Great, great equivalent. It's just like, there are control decks or aggro decks. They take different types of brains to make work yep. um, because, you know, aggro decks, there's consideration as well. You have to understand what you're up against and when to drop monsters and when not to because yep. um, of AOEs and things like that. Right. So, but that's just a very different skill set than a control deck or a combo deck. Right. Yeah, um, exactly. And then, yeah, in one person's hands, like that's why the meta is for games like magic and hearthstone. Um, it takes a while to form and then it's also just, it's kind of a fluid thing in terms of pairing it up with the people that are going to be playing the decks. Right. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I always, I always thought it was super interesting how the, how the meta evolved in, in that game. And, you know, in my mind, I was, I've said this on the podcast before, but you know, for me, meta is a choice, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I choose sometimes to participate in it and sometimes I don't, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. I, it, you know, when you talk about meta, the end goal has to be the has to be the only consideration. Like, if you're talking about something being optimal, you have to have a defined end goal. So that must mean beating right. the highest level content. And if that's right. not your end goal as a player, then the meta doesn't really matter for you. You know, yeah, like right, you can sort of disregard right. it. So. And there's a lot. Of, I got a lot of feedback on that video I, I made of people saying, you know, you're missing the point. People want to be the best they can, and those people are missing the point. The point. Yeah. I would make is it's totally fine that you want to be the best and make the best choices in all the environment just but it's more complicated because you're trying to weigh the context what group are you in what guild are you in what are they running what group are you going to end up with in the raid which makes a lot of difference of you know what what your role is within that group and also within the raid do you you know duo a lot do you run dungeons a lot what kind of player are you where are your skills at in terms of like one skill set versus another. So yeah, each person's meta is an individual process that you explore. And I'm, I'm all for people trying to gain a mastery of the game and mastery of their own skill set. Um, but I think you're actually doing yourself a disservice if again, you're a square peg and you're, and you're letting someone tell you you're to jam into a, a round hole because someone somewhere on the internet is doing really well with a spec that you hate. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's yeah. interesting too. I'm going to jump in because you had brought up the whole, I think where meta goes wrong. And I think where a majority of the negative terms that are used now, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, all kinds of different things that are, that are negative in the MMO space is because, you know, people want to, you just said it like the square peg in the round hole, right? Like people want to be included. Right. So what mm-hmm. happens is if you're not this meta person, and you want to join a group, but that mm-hmm. person who made the group wants meta top performing people, right. the people who don't fit want to fit and get mad. Yeah, and and yeah. I've always said MMOs, granted, I'm a very, uh, I'm not an introverted person. I'm very extroverted. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And I get so that there's a lot, you, yeah. it's easier for me. And I'll acknowledge that. But at the same time, like it, everybody has the capability to, it may not be easy, but to find people that are like you. And number mm-hmm. two, make your own group. And granted, yeah. I know that's not easy, 
But I think where people get so mad at meta and where they complain about meta is because someone's kicked them out of the group because they weren't playing what they wanted them to. Mm -hmm. Yep. And yeah, it's a term for control now. Um, And control and performance are, are highly sought after, you know, in today's modern MMO, whereas uh, cooperation and, you know, kind of social well-being were much more sought after back in the day, right? Mm -hmm. I'll give you a classic example. And and this is a, this is one of those many relationship things like um, that I've sort of come to realize are so important in MMO design, but uh, in retail, you push a button, you get into a, you get into a group, they don't like you, they kick you, you're back in another group within five minutes, right? Mm, And so there's no investment at all, right? Back in the day, though, it was like, okay, we're forming a Whaling Caverns group. Who's in, you know, and you might wait 45 minutes for a healer, right? So the the healer shows up and you're excited and then they start playing a non-meta, right? (laughs) And you're like, Oh, we're gonna kick you. You're not playing non you're playing non-meta. And everyone else is like, whoa, I'm not waiting another 45 minutes for another deal. <laughs> we're right? gonna make it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We're gonna we're gonna suggest kindly how they might <laughs> want to mix in some of these other heels. But if they don't want to, that's totally cool, man. That's totally cool. Just don't leave us, right? Please don't leave. Um that's and so people are willing to work, you know, and they're nicer and they're, you know, like and that person, and they're going to get through the dungeon, right? It's not like Whaling Cowards is so difficult, right? That yeah. the guy just throwing one heel isn't going to get it done, right? So, um, and but that's the thing. It's like nowadays, it's just everything is so about performance and speed, and mm-hmm. you know that, and you can toss people out left and right, and you can get right back into it. That there's no investment, there's no social investment at all. Yeah. That's and here's the point. other thing about that healer is he probably wants to learn how to play the game better, but everyone's been such a dick to him. in retail. Right? <laughs> they don't take the time, right. To help yeah. him understand what the better play is. So, you know, it's a win, win all around. And before you know it, you might be grouping with that guy a few times, you know, running around and wow, you might end up in a guild and now he's three times the player he was because you were, patient and kind and you know he took it on board right so and you've graduated that guy from a you know a casual guy to a core (laughs) gamer right and if you look back at most of our histories right we started out as really bad players (laughs) yeah we did (laughs) but through some process right some of it social we ended up as core or hardcore gamers right and so yeah give that next generation a chance help them out Stop being a meta bully, right? <laughs> and uh, everybody wins, right? That's fantastic. I really hope that that's you know what we see with Pantheon, and I think from what we you know the community is is definitely on board that sort of an approach to things. Yeah, and that's uh, that comes down to game design and EQ is obviously there's there's toxicity in every game, but um, EQ is a very collaborative style game, and Classic was also collaborative, um, but you know you didn't you needed each other even less because you could solo and wow all the way to 60. Right. Yeah. Whereas a lot of, you know, in EverQuest, a lot of classes had a really hard time soloing to 60. So yeah. collaboration and being kind of socially, you know, reasonable, <laughs> socially reasonable. <laughs> uh, I like that was a, uh, was a plus, you know, it was a huge element to getting along in the world. So any template that's sort of based on that kind of the need for that kind of cooperation 
is going to typically push those qualities to the top and you're going to get better results within the community. I sure hope so. I want to um, I want to ask you about item design as the second part of this topic. Um, mm-hmm. One of the videos, your videos, you talked about how um, in vanilla WoW, some items were incredibly powerful and had like really wild procs and other effects. Mm-hmm. And they were in the same level range as other items that were basically like, you know, trash by comparison. <laughs> right. You said, you know, a lot of players view that as the heyday of itemization. Mm-hmm. Um, but from a design perspective, the devs were taking a lot of risks is what you said. Yes. So I was hoping you could maybe expand on that a little more. Like what, what are the risks of doing that? And why do you think players enjoyed this so much? Is it just, you know, nostalgia looking back with rose colored glasses or is there, there more to it than that? Uh, definitely more to it. Um, so there's two parts to it. One is um, the sort of end point of balance, which is a really tough thing to actually define in, especially in a game like Classic, where people are still coming up with weird combinations of things. Um, but uh, there's kind of that side to it is where do all these things land? Um, and there's also like, so the risks are, the risk are one, you're going to create an item that's way out of bounds of everything else. Um, and, and it's going to be long lasting. It's going to be so out of bounds that it's like best in slot at level six. Right. (laughs) Um, and, and also, and, or it trivializes some encounters that are meant to be really, really difficult. Right. So, um, you know, the case of the paladin one shot in Kazakh, basically like, if an item were to be able to do that, then that's clearly out of bounds and you have to, you have to fix that as soon as possible. Right. Right. Um, so those are the risks you take is that you actually break the game beyond reasonable limits. Um, but also just in terms of feedback, once people sort of figure out that some items are better than others, they rank them in terms of like you were saying, power items are best in slot all the way down to trash. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a process, right. That's really good for the game, especially newer games, um, where players have to feel all that stuff out and people love that process, right. Mm-hmm. They love engaging in that process. They love experimenting and trying new builds. And like, again, this goes down to like the Hearthstone analogy of a build around card, right. And it's mm-hmm. like, those yeah, cards that's... are really compelling, you know, because, <laughs> they change the entire context of your collection and everything else you have and all the decisions you make based on <laughs> one card. Right. That was, that was my weakness in that game was that I did a lot of my decks were just built around that one <laughs> big legendary <Yeah>. card <laughs> right. that I loved right. so much that I wanted it in every deck and I loved it and I wanted to make it work and some were good yeah. and some you couldn't make work necessarily. So, and so that's the process, right. And you have to allow for that process to breathe. And that's why, that's why, uh, the risks that were taken and the wild variables on the items were so powerful because it wasn't a spreadsheet determined thing. I can already tell you every item you get from here on out is going to be better than the last one because you're going to be higher level. You're going to kill higher level things and the things that drop are going to have slightly higher attributes, right? That's not a process. That's just you equipping the thing as soon as you find it. Um, right. Whereas, you know, in, in a more free form environment with lots of, you know, risky procs and things like that there's a whole process um because the character has to change as they get these new items they have to experiment in different ways they have to think about potentially other classes in some cases or 
other builds or other talents or whatever it is. Um, this would be great for me, but would this be great for my friend, you know, that I can give this to. Yeah. Um, so, and people love that process. Some people don't like it they just want to know what's the best and they want to put it on and that's fine. Um, but a lot of people love that process and they love being the ones that participate in that process, math, everything out and create YouTube videos showing off their expertise. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And you, you want to support that kind of thing within the game. Cause that's another way for people to distinguish themselves and differentiate themselves within the community and feel special and, mm-hmm. um, and be beloved sort of by the community. So yeah, that's really important in game design is um, giving players an opportunity to be creative and use their noodles in different ways um, mm-hmm. to discover this stuff. And then, you know, you can, you can spend your whole career being that guy, you know, you might not be the best at your rotations, but man, you can tell every person in your guild what items are better for them based on what they're currently doing. And they'll love you for it, right? Because yeah. their parses are going up. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, and they're like, they had no idea how to get there until you came along, right? So mm-hmm. um, those are some of the fundamentals that I think are missing in a lot of MMOs these days. Um, yeah. Because they want to, because uh, designers are afraid to make bad items, right? That's funny. Um, that's so true, though. And, but that's the risk. You know, you, you, you make a bad item and then everyone thinks you're a trash designer because why would you ever make this? <laughs> right? So you're just but constantly like, playing this game of one-upsmanship with yourself. <laughs> yeah. And so you have to know, you have to be kind of, you know, at, at peace with the fact that you're playing a totally different game, essentially, as a game, as an item designer you're trying to create an experience that has a ton of texture and there's positive and negatives. There's, you know, good things and bad things. And again, the context is also really important because some items are really good in raids and some items are really good in PVP and some items are really good in solo content and group content. And we don't know what kind of player you are and we're not going to judge. Right. So you can go do whatever, but we hope out there that somebody's enjoying a ton of the different items and not just vendor trashing, you know, everything except for, you know, five items or whatever it is. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that was a real common philosophy. And to go back to magic from Richard, Richard uh, Garfield was, uh, you know, there has to be bad items in order for people to appreciate the good items. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and obviously you can take that a number of ways and it makes, it sounds like nonsense to a, <laughs> to a power gamer, but <laughs> no, um, yeah, like there is again, there's a relationship there, and it's a relationship between the developers and the players. So, I'm going to create an environment for you to participate in, and you're going to come back and tell me what the best stuff is and why. And I don't care that you tell me this stuff is terrible, I just created the toys for you to play with. It's up to you to figure out how you're going to play with them and hopefully have a good time in the, in the meantime. Exactly. It's funny, I'm a huge magic fan, so as soon as you talk about those, those trash cards. I immediately mm-hmm. think of the giant cockroach, the black giant cockroach. <laughs> it's horrible. It's a horrible card. There's really Pro no reason. It's my old classic. <laughs> I remember uh, one of my buddies, we were doing a draft and, and he got that as the last card. And he's nice. like, he literally chewed it up and spit it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> like, I'll never uh-huh. forget that moment. But you're right. <laughs> you're right. And and we won't get into it a ton because this it's a huge topic. Um, I want to really 
enjoyed your itemization video. I really urge people to go watch that. I've actually linked it into various Pantheon communities because, and again, I'm not going to get a ton into it. Go watch the video. You, you covered it. Great. Um, I love how you did the graph and showed that when you tried to have every stat meaningful, nothing's meaningful. All right. Oh my, I, cause I remember the days of going for hit cap, right? And like, once you were there, okay, now like our defense cap, you had to hit cap as a tank just to land your taunts, right? Um, so I just, I love that. So check that out if you guys want to get more yeah. in depth on itemization. That video is awesome. So my favorite feedback from that video was that somebody noticed that I mislabeled my axes. <laughs> I put the plus X on the wrong one and the plus DPS on the other. Oh, geez. <laughs> of course they did, right? And the whole thing is like, you know, really sloppy graphics. So that's part of yeah. the charm. But um, no, it's just so true, though. Like, if you don't. Decision making is important. It adds a lot of depth. It adds yeah, it exactly. adds discovery, like you said, right? And if you take decision making out, like, what are we doing? You know, right? Yeah, um, that's a big part of the game for a lot of people. So, I mean, it is even in D anD D, right? Like, yeah, you get a sure. sword, you might not even know what it is, but it sounds cool, and, and then all of a sudden, it has a special effect when you hit a vampire or something, right? It's just right. crazy, right? There's that yep. discovery and and. It makes it creates like this little bit of lore for the items and, mm-hmm. and they mean something. I mean, when every item is DM just, in, a, yeah, yeah. Then the DM who's a big jerk won't won't put any vampire dungeons in the game. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Completely meaningless item. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, is it a vampire? No, it's not a vampire. <laughs> no. Damn it. Um, the last question I have for you for meta and itemization, and there's so much we could get into in this, but, um, mm-hmm. something I, I really enjoy, and, and I'm just curious on your philosophy as a class designer. Um, there's a lot of people who like to just learn their class and that's it. And that's how it is forever. And that's what I'm going to do. Yep. And I'm good at it. Um, I get bored of that. I, I usually right. like towards the end of my wow playing, I left, um, after old year and BFA, um, mm-hmm. and I played it from launch till then with a couple breaks. And one of the things for me was I'd play, you know, four or five characters fully raid geared. I was a guild leader. So I always wanted to be able to swap in. But what was awesome to me is like my favorite classes when we'd get to a near, like a new raid tier and you get those set bonuses and it's just, it's almost that Diablo effect. Like it completely changes how you play. I love that. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't want to play a rogue the same way for 20 years. (laughs) I want to evolve it. Did you, you know, you said that like item designers versus class designers, they're kind of their own thing. How did Mm -hmm. you feel about sort of these set bonuses? Do you like that in the genre? Do you like the reinvention of a class mid expansion like that or changing how people play? I've always, yeah. I mean, I I grew up playing magic. So the build around idea, you know, is is super, super compelling to me too. Um, and yeah, I love that. I'm also a huge altaholic, right? So mm-hmm. like you, I, I can't do the same types of things too many times in a row before I, whether it's new content or playing a different class, um, I have to switch it up a lot. But um, yeah, definitely intentional. Uh, it's definitely intentional that we would have things that would come along and make you think about, okay, now what do I do with this? You know, and it just sends you back to the back to the lab, basically drawing up blueprints and figuring out how you're going to maximize the potential of this weird modifier, you know? So absolutely. And to keep things fresh. And it, that was pretty common. It was a, it was sometimes it, it tried to be as gentle as possible in terms of encouraging you to try new things, but uh, variety is the spice of life for any game that you're going to play 
you know, several years, not to mention decades. Um, so getting people to sort of try different things, really important. Mm-hmm. I just loved when you would, you know, I'm trying to think as a, a class that I could, like as a um, rogue, for example, you know, a lot of people were playing combat and then all of a sudden you could get, and this is in the Lich King days. I remember I was huge into mutilate, but for mutilate, you had to have like really specific items. If you didn't yeah, have yeah. them, like mutilate was rough to play, but when right. you got them, it just unlocked like this whole new way to play rogue. And, and I like rogues a lot. And on top of that, I am, I think it's blasphemy for a rogue to use anything, but a dagger. I'm going to stay true to that. <laughs> right. So I would not play combat. I, I was horrible. It, it's it, one of the only times I PVP'd in wow. And I'm mad at whoever right. made this decision. And I hope it wasn't you, Kevin, <laughs> but, but I was yeah. mad because the offhand dagger during the Lich King raid for mutilate was a PVP, the best in slot. And it, I was like, no, <laughs> and all oh, the grinding I had to do. Cause I was so bad. I was so right. horrible. But when I got it, it like, I remember the, I was at Sarfang cause I played Alliance where you, the rogue didn't have to do anything because you couldn't hit the two, um, the two void creatures or else they'd give health back. So the rogue got to sit still, never move and DPS. And as a mutilate rogue, it was the greatest thing that ever existed. But it's it's, again, it's those, it's those couple items unlock something or that one Mm -hmm. talent that people say, Ooh, that talent's the worst. Then all of a sudden you get a set bonus that makes it 200% stronger or something like, Oh wait, (laughs) this is cool now. Yeah. And sometimes we did that directly with the talents. Sometimes we did it with items or set bonuses, like you're saying. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hand in hand, right? Like your, your character choices, your item choices, and then the content you're facing is the other piece. Um, and you want to keep that environment changing often enough that you're just always kind of thinking about what are some, what are good decisions here? If I really wanted to up my game to the next level, what could I do? Or am I happy where I'm at? And I really enjoy this play style. So I'll just stick it out, try to maximize what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. That's just such player engagement, you know, and just always about maintaining that player engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of leads into the next topic that I want to ask you about. So we'll talk about player behavior and just sort of evolution of the genre as a whole. And that's going to wrap it up with our first part of our interview with Kevin Jordan, WoW class designer from WoW Vanilla through Wrath of the Lich King. In the next episode of The Rewind next Sunday, we'll continue by talking about player behavior, genre evolution, and also open world instancing. And then we're going to take some questions from the mailbox like we typically would on a Rewind. Please join us next week. and We hope you've enjoyed this one. Please leave comments and make sure to check out Kevin's different social media platforms in the links below. Thank you and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Pantheon Plus Rewind. Be sure to follow Minus and all Pantheon Plus related content on Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube under the name Pantheon Plus. Also, be sure to follow Theric at Pantheon Theric on Twitter. Keep up to date on all Pantheon Rise of the Fallen information on www.pantheon.plus, the definitive source for all media of Pantheon. Until next time.